Hi, this is Jim Butcher. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Junk Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast number 141 and Sci-Fi Junk number 20. And again, we are on with Troy and doing Falling Skies season number two re-review or review. I don't know which one it would be. Um, I'm calling it the season two in review. How's that? Recap. The, yes, the recap. So, um... We did season one, was it last week? Last week? Yeah, I guess it was last week. And then, I, I don't know about you, I went back and power watched the entire season two this weekend, which I guess you can call it a power watch, it's like an episode, but it still felt like uh, uh, a power watch, because that is a lot to take down on this I definitely finished it, I, I knocked it out in like three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was having a bit of back issues this week, so I had a few, I had a little little bit more uh, TV time than I anticipated. So unlike last week, where I finished, you know, an hour before we started doing it, I finished this one yesterday or the day before with plenty of time to spare, which uh, could be good, could be bad. Um, it means it all kind of runs together. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But it makes it epic. It does make it epic. Now, I have to say, I, I'm not sh- quite sure this season, and, and I don't know what was going on when this season was created, because, you know, and maybe at some point Carl can can send us a message and tell us exactly what was going on in the TV world at this point, because it seems that this season was a tiny bit less epic than last season. It wasn't quite as... Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't as good, because it was still awesomely wonderful and just terrifically written but it also had less of a the first season you felt like uh, almost like you were like punching the gut several times you know it's like right. oh when they fail it was like hitting the gut it's not only did you feel disappointment when they didn't achieve things but you felt like you got physically punched in the gut I, I can tell you what it is see Steven Spielberg's name is attached to this and whenever he does science fiction TV History will tell you that it'll be canceled in a season. So, that season one, they were trying to get as many people hooked as possible. And then when they realized they weren't going to get canceled, it was like, oh, we have time to actually tell this story now. Well, and that was what I was about to say, is season two ended in what I thought could have been an ending. I think it was, I think it was an attempt to have a safe landing regardless of which way it went. Now, fortunately, it went on for another three seasons. See, I don't get that at all. Season two for me is like, if you don't know who those guys are, which first time you, you go through it, you don't. Right, you the don't. The first thing you think is, oh my God. No, and but and, and you don't, and I'm not saying that it, that it takes away from it being a middle season. I'm just saying if it had ended there and it had been canceled, you wouldn't have had this uproar of, ending like they did in, in, in what was it, Stargate Atlantis where you're in the middle of this this giant um, teaser and it boom, stops it's I'd over. have been freaked out Yeah, I'd, I'd have been freaked out anytime they, they ended on a cliffhanger right, and this one had a really it, it, this season had a really decent ending it wouldn't have been the greatest of all worlds because obviously they were hoping to continue. But my guess is is that it was, it was we'll give you one more season, and let's see what happens. And so they made a season that was very it was very good. It wasn't as good as the first season in my opinion, but it was still exceptionally good. But it also had an ending 
that could have been gone each way. Had it been canceled, everyone would have went, oh, man, that sucked. You canceled it, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't leave see, a the, lot of threads on, hanging. Right. Well, see, the nature, of, uh, the nature of mystery, like the first season, you had the mystery. And the nature of mystery is if you don't know, it keeps you coming back until you do know. Now we've got some answers. Yes. And let's and face it. a bunch it, of more the, questions. The answers are never as satisfying as the questions. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I mean, no matter how good they do, the answers are never going to be as satisfying. Well, and when, like, we get to, and when we get what, to episode 10, although it was a wonderful ending, it, it also created another group of questions that were oh, yeah. fantastic for the, the whole story. But because you knew so little about them, it wasn't this aching... At the end of season one, you were like, oh my god, this has got to go on. At the end of season two, I was like, okay, that's that's. I was kind of surprised. I was like, wow, that was kind of a you know, not I, pixie it, dust ending, but it was wow. Now you've gotten used to it. Now you're immersed. It's just it's part of the regular routine now. No, because those sometimes these season finales are just you just can't wait for it to start over. This one was just a good. It could have been a good show ending as well. It wouldn't. You didn't get to tell the whole story. Don't don't get me wrong. It wasn't, but it wasn't a Farscape ending. It wasn't a Stargate Atlantis ending where it just like it leaves you with this ah shit I can't believe they stopped this here. See, I think Stargate Atlantis had a far better ending than this. If, if this had stopped here, I'd have been freaking out and sending letters. <laughs> it's like I you think... can't introduce a new player and stop. Yeah, well. Farscape's ending was the one that killed me. So I mean, that was that was just I mean, that was a real cliffhanger, right? And this this one didn't have it. It had a lot of unanswered questions. It had a lot of goodness. It had a lot of that, but it didn't have this giant. You're looking over a seventy thousand foot drop cliffhanger. It didn't have that, which is I think was good because I think I'll bet that there was no guarantee that there was a third season at that point. I would almost be willing to bet that there's no guarantee of a continuation at any season. Oh, I agree. But I'm saying there are times when you get a couple of episodes into it and they go, yeah, this is just wonderful. Yeah. This is going to go on forever. But, but see, here's the nice thing about this. You know, Like I say, Steven Spielberg has this history that he, for some reason, whenever he's you know, got a handle on, on sci-fi TV, they just cancel it outright. But TNT, if you'll remember, was the station that picked up Babylon 5 for its fifth season. Yep. So I think they knew that going in that this had that potential to be the next type of thing like that. And they were getting in on the ground floor, so they wanted to encourage it. I just want to understand exactly how I didn't know about this when it came out. I, I just, I do not understand. I mean, I watch practically everything that is even remotely resembles aliens. You got me. I can't even understand how... I mean, as soon as Carl mentioned it in his post, um, then we immediately, you know, did a review on an episode and blah, 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 and started watching it and the whole shebang. I mean, I, I, I clearly went back and looked at it and seen what actually happened, and, and I did get involved right away. But I'm still kind of amazed that how can something like this go on for two seasons before I even know it exists? And the only thing I can think of is... I TiVo too much, and I just simply don't see the commercials. I simply don't ever see the commercials. I mean, well, heck, the I... 21st century. 
<laughs> yes. Well, and I even, I, you know, to that extent, I even had a phone call with TiVo earlier this week. I'm like, look, dudes, I, I pay this huge amount of money to buy my TiVo unit, and I pay this huge amount of money every month for the service of a TiVo. I want these stupid ads that are popping up when I pause things to go away. I didn't pay you to run commercials. I paid you to not have commercials. <laughs> no, you paid for the recording. Yes. And now when you hit and somebody pause, else pays these, the little, board. these little yeah. banner ads are popping up. It's really irritating. I've noticed a lot of a lot of media players that you can get for your computer do that. Like I use the Divix player. And now whenever I load a video that I've got on my hard drive, it will actually load up an ad before it ever plays the video. Yeah. Yeah, well, they'll... Uh, it, it, it's not to the point yet where it's so annoying that, that somebody's going to find a workaround, but they... They should start watching themselves. It is if if it bugs me, it's going to get there. Um. Anyway, <laughs> season two. Now that we've been season sidetracked, two. um, sufficiently sidetracked, I should say. It's all part of the show. <laughs> it's all a part. Um. So let's let's talk about the beginning of this one because season one ended with Tom getting on a ship. Yeah, they. The aliens basically told Tom, you come with us, or we take your son. And he, being being himself, decided, you know what, That's I, I gotta do it. I'm, yeah, he, he knew he was getting hosed, but he's like, well, if okay. I can learn something, and there's a possibility that maybe Ben will be safe. And so... Season episode one, season two starts exactly the same way. They replay. I usually am not very fond of them replaying pieces of previous episodes, but in this case, it was just enough to where you see him getting on, and you see Weaver freaking out, and yeah. then and then it 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 just has this magical falling skies change of. You know, have you ever heard those songs where they're playing along and all of a sudden they change the key they're playing in, but they do it so magically that it just, instead of it being a problem for the song, which it is in some cases, it becomes almost like the beat of the music. It becomes part of the song. It's it's a necessity, not a necessity to change notes. It's a necessity that the change took place because oh, yeah. of the way it does. Well, that's exactly what Falling Sky did here. It... It, it has this, this tendency to change the, the rhythm of what's going on from him getting on a ship to all hell breaking loose. Yep. <laughs> it was just, it was magical. It really was. And, you know, at this point you're like, okay, he got on the ship. Man, I really hope those boom, boom, boom. And you're like, holy crap, that's exactly what you want to see. Um, at least that was my thought. Yeah, the, the this kind of sets the the hallmark for what goes forward because every season opener there's always a time shift, and it's in that that missing time that they uh, they tell the audience, "Hey, it's on you to catch up, but yeah. we'll help you out the best we can," <laughs> and, it, and that's what sucks you back into it. Well, this always... one, re- it, it and, and it is, but they they do it so, and my and and. The way I seen this was a replay of the last episode, and then, wham, you're in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a street. There's no Tom. He's been gone for, what, three months? Three months. Three months. And the next thing you know, his um, his, his kid, um, Ben, 
is you can see in Ben's eyes that he's got this hatred for the Skitters that's just <laughs> it, it's amazing how how they transform him from this kid that's just kind of you know the bookworm to truly being by the end of this season the, a leader for the rebels practically yeah he he's the one that he knows everything about their about what they're doing or as close to it as they can get yeah he's he's gone through all the trauma he's lost all the people like everybody else it's just his as far as it's concerned his world has ended it will not have any kind of resolution at all until every last skitter is dead yep and you can see that in his eyes when he's walking down that street and he hears the noise and he's oh and yeah I guess, he, he and, just jumps in and he's a, he's just efficient it's just bam 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 stab and they're like withdraw withdraw and they're like all running and, and of course his brother um, Hal is watching him and saying come on Ben let's go let's go and Ben just keeps going but what ends up happening what he didn't know was going on is that and it was very unclear until the replay later on from from Tom's eyes what had actually happened but you know Tom had gotten in a, in a fight with a skitter he had heard the he had heard Weaver I guess call the recall right and he got in a fight with a skitter and stumbled out into the street and he was holding the skitter from behind kind of like you know a, a, a like would be done with a um, if you were holding a, um, a hostage, right, your hand around his neck and he's killing him and stuff, and and of course he stumbles out in the street. Ben sees this and and shoots him. What he didn't know is one of the bullets actually hits Tom. Yeah, the skitter just kind of moved to the side and it, it got Tom. And yeah, I, I can't imagine what what that would be like. You know, you're you're sitting there going through Terminator mode, killing anything that moves that's, that's not human, and then oh. Hi, Dad. Yeah. Hi, Dad. I just shot you. Haven't um, seen you for three months. Thought you were dead. And now you might be anyway. Yeah. And because of me. Um, yeah. So that's got to be quite emotional for him. At, at least I, I would think from... I think he took it a little harder throughout the next couple... You know, throughout, through his, throughout his recovery than I think he would have. I think he... And I'm not even sure why they made it impact him so heavily. I mean, I understand, hey, you shot your dad. But he also, at this point, and I guess what they were doing is saying, okay, he was a kid. He has gone overboard. He went a little too far. He wants the skitters dead. He's shooting everything. He's not listening to his commanders as much anymore. And then this was a way of reining him back a little bit. Right. It's basically, if you think about it, the three months that passed... He's been figuring out exactly how superhuman he is. He now has this this feeling of invincibility that's only magnified by the fact that he's a teenager. And and then he's and here he's going to learn that you know when you don't listen, there's there's consequences when you, when you do exactly listen, reality comes crashing down. Now the one thing that was that we had talked about before, and there's a few keys things that I've been watching to find out who who what comes and goes. And the one thing that appears in this episode that we hadn't seen before is the medical bus. For some reason, that medical bus had stuck in my mind through the entire um, series, and I remember thinking towards the end, why don't they have the medical bus anymore? <laughs> 
but its first appearance shows up in this one. Right. Which I'm, I'm kind of curious where they got it in the first place and how, how fast they were able to outfit it. Yeah, there was a there was a um, well, and I guess that comes on in later when they when uh, they find that hospital. But um, it was there was quite a bit of medical supplies. But I guess that is contributed to uh, um, what's her name? Anne or Lourdes? No, neither one. Girl that they found with, jeez. Um, oh, Maggie. Maggie, Jesus Christ, I'm losing my mind. That's contributed to Maggie, obviously. That we now find out later, you know, she was much more than just, you know, a cancer patient. Yeah, she, she was, she's had it rough. Yeah, she she went into the cancer patient cancer patient thing and came out of without any hope and turned into a, a, a druggy hoodlum. Let's call it. So, but that was, I think a lot of their, their medical bus stuff was, was shown early on where she was, you know, teaching Hal how to get around and which doors and back passages to the hallways and all that kind of stuff when they went in to get those kids at one time. She kind of knew ways in and out that most of them didn't know. So we knew there was something more there with her. But it's, it, then again, this is another tribute to how well they built the characters before it was necessary, but they made it such a, a, a part of it, it wasn't obvious that's what they were doing. Right. Yeah, everything in this is subtle. They, they tell you, or they, they show you, but they don't tell you. you know, you're, just, you're expected to pick up on the cues. Now, the um, we also see in this one, as there's a flashback going on as Tom makes it back to... Um, Makes it back to his kids. Right. Makes it back to the to the second mass, second mass, fifth mass, second third. Mass. Second mass. Second mass. As he makes it back to the second mass, he's basically we're we're seeing in flash mode, flash back to him being on the skitter ship, to him being currently here. Um, The red-eyed skitter, and I thought they did such a wonderful job when when this was when he was with that red-eyed skitter. I thought the red-eyed skitter hated him. That red-eyed skitter, I mean, it's, it's that red eye. I mean, the first thing you think of is evil. It's you know, it's like Terminators. Yep. And just the fact that it looks even creepier than the average skitter could possibly look. And yeah. It, I mean, they they kind of presented as this is the Darth Vader of skitters. Exactly, and they did such a good job of it. You you make that assumption without them actually without actually thinking it through completely. You think there's everyone but well, no, even Tom suspects it that they that they released him because he was a plant of some kind. And in reality, they put that worm in his eye just to make it look like it was. I think. Well, no, the 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 little worm in his eye was so that the. It was basically so the red-eyed skitter could have some kind of surveillance to see what's going on in Tom's world and see who actually there could help. I think that's how he found Ben. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I see. And this is another case of you make assumptions based on what you think's going on. And then... Right, because when they're, sh- when they're showing the thing go back into the skitter eye, at that point you still think he's evil. You still think he's evil, but now it makes sense when you stop and you look back at it. 
the reason he wasn't in the chamber with his master and telling him what was going on and stuff is because he didn't want him to know. Exactly. Mm. And then when you know he freed him, we just assumed he freed him because it was a plant into the you know to the good thing. And then you find out later when when he's freed, he's like, "You're still alive," and you realize right then and there the skitter's not lying. He really did save his life. Right. See, if you'll forgive again the Star Wars parallel. In in the very first Star Wars movie, you know, Vader puts the tracking device aboard the Falcon and it leads the Death Star to the Rebel base. That's kind of the same setup that that you think they did with Tom. They kill off all the other prisoners, but they let him escape so yeah. that he can make it back to the Rebel base, so to speak. But it turns out it's like he actually still wants to get in touch with the Rebels and say, hey, we need your help, but he's got to make it look good for his masters. Yep. I mean, it's, it's such a perfect tightrope that they're walking with this. It, it is. And and what was amazing what it was amazing about it is at the point where Tom is convincing Weaver that he's a part of the rebellion and that you know he's not evil and blah blah blah. You don't know which one to believe. Exactly. You yourself, I mean usually from from the storytelling point of view They've given you some insider information to make you believe one way or another because you've seen both sides of the story. But on this one, you've seen both sides of the story, and you still don't know which one to believe. Right. I mean, you're you're basically told, okay, Tom is the good guy. He's the guy you got to follow. But then you see he's compromised. So it's like, well, Ben's saying this. Well, no, Ben's clearly compromised too. Yep. Well, this rebel skitter is is saying this, and it's like, but we've seen him do all the torturing. It's just everything is, it it goes into this second guessing, and you know, if you're actually in that situation, I can't imagine the level of paranoia. Yeah, well, and and they've they've done such a, a magnificent job of making Weaver the the super paranoid and making making Hat Tom the the balance of that super... Oh, sure. Well, Weaver was in the Gulf War, so you know he's he's experienced things that just only add to that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got the real-world experience plus having his family pretty much wiped out, as far as anybody knows. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it so, weighs on him, too. Which is, it was just actually, you know, it's kind of amazing that... that the way the human mind can play tricks on you. I mean, here's here's a man that's been was divorced from his wife. His wife takes custody of the kids, and he blames himself for not being there when the war happens. Typical soldier. It's just it, it, it's amazing that 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 can weigh. You know, anyone rationally stopping and thinking about it would say, "How were you supposed to know there was going to be an alien in right?" In, but that, that's and, but that's survivor's guilt. Yep. That, that's a common thing. Yep. And so, um, and of course, he bottles it up and keeps it inside and everything. But then, of course, um, we see another flashback of him after you know after he's dealt with the red skitter. The red skitter takes him off of the the ship, lines him up with another twenty dudes, shoots everybody but him, which is turns, just crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's just like standing there looking at him, like what the hell, and. You know, the skitter turns around and takes the the I want to call it the the, the ad at and walks off. 
Um, <laughs> Dude, and that's have four legs. Yeah, what, what are the ones without the four legs? The little chicken walkers. Uh, the little chicken walkers. Yeah, he takes the chicken walker and walks off. The ATSD. Uh, yes, that's the one. Um, he takes him and walks off, and 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 Tom's sitting there going, "Okay, now, what the hell was that?" Um, so we see that flashback. And then we see another flashback where Tom is, is attempting to get back. And, and, and I'm going to stop here and point out, you know, I've only... Uh, there's so little wrong with the series that when you do see something, even as minute as it absolutely is, and you have to... You ha- I have to point it out because I don't really have anything bad to say about anything in this entire series. Um... I love this. I have nothing bad to say, so I'm going to say something bad. Yes. Well, <laughs> I just don't consider it bad. I just consider it, you know, one of those, well, I'm It's not a point sure. of lesser good? It's a point of lesser good, correct. And the point <laughs> of lesser good that I have with this this particular season is the coincidental family reunions and people roaming along the East Coast running into each other over and over and over again. I, I see that some level of it is it, it can happen but like I wouldn't have had a can, problem can I help you out here yeah help me out how familiar are you with the Lord of the Rings uh, fairly familiar okay when Tolkien was writing the Lord of the Rings there's this concept called catastrophe. the idea is that the forces of good are actually working for the benefit of the heroes in spite of everything else that's going on. And when you get to the end, the ring drops into the lava, and everything just starts a domino effect that that makes everything a happy ending. Okay. So the forces of good are still working behind that. So the idea is these guys are going to find each other regardless because that's all they have. You know, and and I can agree with that to a certain extent, but I, I have this problem with a lot of shows where people continuously run into each other. So you have the whole eastern coast to run along each other. Weaver runs into his daughter. Hal finds his way back to the second mass, which he has no idea where they are, but he runs into them anyway. Um, I mean, it's been three freaking months, and they're fighting a battle that he has no idea what any of the planning is about, yet he runs into them. Really? Well, in um, all fairness, had it not been for Weaver barking orders, he would never have known they were even there. That's true, but that but that's my whole my whole point is that if I, if I had to say that there was something a little fishy about this season, that would be it. Weaver running into his daughter multiple times, Hal finding his way See, back. See, that's the part that gets screwball because we get to know the daughter, and it's like, why are you even here? <laughs> Yeah, but the reason she's there is to present other viewpoints of the war that we're not seeing through the through the main characters, right? And, but there, but there was a lot of uh, that. If and, and that's, that's it, I think that's the only complaint I've got to the whole thing is that there was a bit. We won't even mention how many times it's happened with Pope. We've traveled oh, hundreds of like miles bad. from where we were, and yet we run into Pope again. Pope is the bad penny. He's always going to turn up. It's ridiculous how often he shows up. 
Exactly. And so that, that's what I'm saying. If you take that and, that and you add all those together in this season, there was, you know, two, three, four types of, of accidental stumbled upon people that we knew that we needed and blah, blah, blah. That kind of annoys me. But at the same time, everything else is so damn good that it's so easy to, to, to well, not take it seriously. Think about it like this. There's only so many pockets of survivors. And the, the big uber survivors like the Masons or like Pope are going to be the ones that end up finding each other against all odds anyway. It's not a perfect explanation, but yeah, and you can kind of buy it. Running into Pope the first time, absolutely, positively, I have no problem. What I have a problem with is the same thing I had a problem with in, in, in Lord of the Rings, is they get in their little trucks, they start heading away, they travel hundreds and hundreds of miles from wherever they were to wherever they are, with no knowledge of each other and run into each other again. It reminds me of Stargate Voyager where we're 10,000 light years from home. We draw a beeline straight for our home planet. We travel for years and years and years that direction and yet we're still running into people that someone that's only got a three, a six year life knows. How? Well, no. Well, in Star Trek Voyager, they're, they're really not covering a whole lot of ground until the very end. Yes, they are. They're traveling at, at warp blah, 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 as fast as they can. Out Through of an empire that's already controlled by uh, by these given races. So they keep finding the same races over and over, and they keep finding the, the same general hierarchy of leadership. Yeah, but the, the problem that I've got with that is they keep finding people that Felix has traded with in the last six months. Because Yet they've been traveling for era. multiple years going and running in that direction, trying to get away from these people, and yet they keep running into the same... It, it just seems to me that if they were leaving normal space, they would have been far enough away. That it, it's the same thing well, here. They're in traveling... All fair, in all fairness, going, going back to Voyager real fast, and then we can move back into this, but Neelix isn't the one that lit, that last ten years. That was Cass. It was Cass. No, you're absolutely right. Neelix's people constantly trade with people. That's what they do. Neelix is just one of those that he's just very good at. So he's he's made the contact. Just because he's encountered them doesn't necessarily mean that he's friendly with them. Yeah, kind, but he, he knew a lot of them. Guys. He knew a lot of them, and he knew a lot of them. If it, if it had been the first season, okay, I can see that. But after multiple years of traveling in the same direction, going as fast as warp as they could possibly go, I'm sorry. They should have been out of Neelix's realm of home space. Because if they had left... Uh, Voyager didn't get, a, didn't get a straight line. They had to be knocked about quite a bit. Well, either way. It's the same kind of annoying factor here. You've got people going hundreds of miles, and then when it's all said and done, they run into each other. And it just that that kind of of thing kind of is annoying. Okay. Well, on Falling Skies, then the, the way they justify that is they they knew the general direction they were going. There's only so many roads that are left that are travelable. Yeah. Now there are some things that they knew. Like he knew they were going to Charleston. Right. Um, the son knew the Ben knew that he could find them in Charleston. In a base that the skitters can't find, but he could find. And you figure that the the rebel skitters, they they've been keeping a beat on on the masons too. On the, on the whole group, 
you you can't assume that that the thing they stuck in Tom's eye was the only spy they had. Uh, I think to say that there was a spy in Tom's eye that nobody knew about, I think, would be stretching it. But well, what, it's what okay. I'm saying well, is, I mean, we what, could, we once could... they once they have a beat on them the first time, who knows how many little little tracking devices they stuck all over the place that weren't in people. Yeah, but to say that is to say that you know the 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 multiple contacts they had with the bad guys could have done exactly the same thing, and they could have had all the tracking devices on them and known exactly where they were the entire game. Probably did. So if they knew that they were there, they, you know... I mean, now, think, think about this. The, one of the things that they pointed out was the very first thing they did was they wiped out technology. They, they wiped out... Uh, they, they used the EMP, shut down all, all electronics. So that means that whatever's left that's generating heat signatures above and beyond, say, a normal body is capable of, that's probably a machine... They're constantly having to to hide the heat signatures on their vehicles just to travel. So, uh, there's just some coincidences there that are that are hard to explain, and with something that's so well written, it sometimes it's hard to swallow them because they don't do that. They didn't. They don't do it very often. And this one, in this season, this season in particular, they did it a few times more. That you know, by the time it happens the second or the third time, you're like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, I think I think the progression of storytelling was more important than the details. Yes, I, I think you're right. I, no, I, like I've said, when I started this, I said, "Look, this is a really nitpicky, um, bad thing to say about it," but it, it's there nonetheless. See, I still think if you fight hard enough, you can find explanations. Yeah, maybe. And if you fight hard enough, you could probably find holes in those explanations too. True, but but. Why go there? <laughs> now, there was one thing here that was that became very obvious after he was back that Weaver clearly missed Tom. This was the first time where they truly, honestly realized they needed each other. Right. Yeah, they they got they built their friendship right before Tom got on the alien craft. Yeah. And that that absence made made it all the more um, obvious, even to to Weaver, that hey, we're we're a good team, we're a balance here. Now you but also been, see he he'd been relying on Hal more and more. It was, and you could see that Hal had grown up to the point where um, Hal and, and Ben had basically really filled in some some huge gaps. Right. But Hal was was a. Uh, he, he really turned into a soldier, the fighting guy that, that, that you would expect him to be, but not right away. Yeah, it's like he's the oldest, so he stepped up and said, okay, I've, I've got to fill these shoes. Right. Right. Now, then there's a flashback, and Tom runs into a girl being harassed by some hoodlum. Yes, Teresa. Is that her name, Teresa? That, that's her name. Ah. See, I told you my notes were better this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad with names, I have to write every one of them down or I forget everything. I, I understand. I'm I've right there like, with you. 
I got a, I got a, the top across my notes from the first podcast. I got just a list of names. I mean, I know who they are once I see their name, but remembering their name is a different thing. Um, so Teresa, he runs into Teresa, and basically Teresa is this dysfunctional girl who's been running from the skitters. You know, her and her boyfriend, or her and her mother, have been hiding and just been abused, and the worst parts of human nature and alien invasion have come to visit right. her. Right. Um, Tom basically um, gives her a little bit of hope, tells her that he's you know heading to Charleston, and um, coincidentally, before he gets there, he runs into uh, his team, of course. Um, and she turns and runs. Well, no. In all fairness, they they weren't they weren't heading for Charleston at this point. They didn't know about Charleston. Really? Right. They they were still basically where they were at. Tom was like in Ohio or something, and he was trying to make his way back to Massachusetts. Because it's the, the lady on the biplane when she showed up. That, that's oh, when that's they found right. Out they were going to head north. They were going to head north through the mountains to get away in the cold. Right. They were going to go to the Catskills. And so there was... Um... Okay, well, you know what? That helps a lot with Tom running into him because I was very annoyed by the fact that it, that he had run into them on their way to yeah, he didn't Charleston, run. but he didn't know at that point. He was just going back where they were, and that makes sense because now that I think about it, Weaver had just continued the war the way it was, and he was kind of looking around for him and ran into Okay, that is much better. That See, and then later on, when Ben brings the skitters, they had, he had already known that they were heading to Charleston. Because he separated after that. Yeah. Okay. I, I that 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 helps a lot. That that softens the blow a little bit. I still think there was a <laughs> lot of coincidences there, but that does help soften the blow quite a bit. Relu- relieves a lot of the the coincidental nature of it. That unless that, it happens that in nonfiction, me. there's always going to be coincidence. It just feels bad. Yeah. Well, but a lot of times though, they do such a good job of not making them feel so bad that they rub at you wrong. You know, sure, sure. When, you, when you're watching something like this, and at some point you look up, and it's you know, it's like watching um, some bad sci-fi, and you go, "Oh, come on!" That's right, but, when you know it's they've taken it too far. But I mean, even in real life, if you you meet somebody that you haven't seen for you know years of time, you go, "Hey, what are the odds?" That's true. Okay. Now, all of this. I wrote Pope on high alert. All he of this much lives on high alert. <laughs> yeah, but this is where you know he was not a fan of Tom Mason, but, no, but he also wasn't a hater of Tom Mason. No, now he now he feels Tom is compromised. Yes, now he feels Tom is compromised. Um, there's there's no question that he's not a Mason. Tom Mason fan at this point. As far as he's concerned, he's just a skitter spy. He's like, why Why did you get away? How did you get away? Why did they let you get away? What did they do to you while you were gone? You know, it's the, the most logical questions you could ask. Now, I don't remember, I didn't write down, I, I, I say Pope on high alert. Was was this the one where he attempts to uh, take him out and shoot him? No, it's the next one. It's the next one, okay. I think, I think it's the next one. I, I don't have a uh... Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, excuse me. 
because they uh, Tom, Tom basically says that um, he he'll take control of the renegades or the berserkers rather, and they they just laugh at him. Is that, is that the second or the third one? The third one is where Pope goes goes lone wolf. Gets it thrown out by himself with um, what's his name backing him up. Not Anthony, the other. The other right. Thir- okay. The third one is where where Tom got assigned to the Berserkers. So I'm skipping ahead. Something. Fierce. Well, actually, no. It may be this one where he gets assigned no, to the Berserkers. It's in my but notes. The third it's one was where Pope tries to. No, it's 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 in the third one. It's in my notes. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You're the right. Second one. Let, let me see here. We have where is Pope. Okay, that's where the berserkers get uh, get sent out to scout the, the road ahead, and they have uh, they run across the bridge. Okay, well we'll and get Pope, that. Pope, Pope gets the detonator and all that. But knowing at this point, I mean, here we are, two episodes ahead of that, and they're they're showing right. this this typical attitude of Pope to to be in a bad mood, but. Yeah, at this point though, Pope has he he has all the right questions. Yeah, but it's the kind of thing that it's the most divisive questions you could possibly ask. Yeah, no, it is, and he does it in such a way that makes it it makes it un the the reaction of Weaver could have been much stronger and much more in Pope's favor had he done it in a different way but Pope always does things in Pope's way and causes serious trouble right and he did exactly the same thing now Tom ends up saying okay look you're right tying himself up in the medical bus and saying okay look let's uh let's not trust me at this point right that's after they find out about the thing in his eye And that's in the second episode. Right. And okay. Which is, why, which is why he has himself trusted up, because he understands that he can't be trusted. Right. So well, let's move forward to the second episode, because I think that was why I wrote that Pope on High Alert, probably just seen Pope. Yeah, that, that was a, right at the end agree. of the first episode. Anyway, yeah. So we're, we're there. We're, we're in the second episode. We're in the second episode. So now, in the second episode, a question that was brought up during first our first podcast on this was, what kind of bombs were they? And they are neutron bombs. Yes. So neutron bombs are subatomic particle bombs with no it's, net electrical charge. Yeah, it's basically nuclear without the nuclear fire. For all intents Ex- purposes. Exactly. So I, I imagine that that probably, which is really questionable, it specifically says no net electrical charge, which makes me wonder about the EMP. Because yeah, it ba- well, the no net electrical charge it basically shorts out everything. It neutralizes it. It's like adding water to an acid or a base. Okay, all right, I can see that. That makes sense. You know, because you you look at atomic structure, you got proton, neutron, electron. Neutrons are the neutral ones. So it basically just neutralizes everything. Exactly. Wow. How's that for adding science to your sci-fi? I heard that. That's that's real science. So, but science. 
I wonder if those are reality bombs, or if those really exist, or if those if it's well, a, some it's of a, them they do. It's if it's if it's a principle bomb where they 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 think it up, but they can't actually do it. Oh, they can do it. I just don't know what what level they can do it at. Well, we think they can do it. I don't know. I, I mean, what would be the purpose? I mean, it, we know they have nuclear bombs. We know they have. Well, with nuclear bombs, you're basically going to wipe out a complete area. With a neutron bomb, it it's like I said, it's it's essentially an EMP. You destroy out the tech, but you leave everything standing. It basically just disables electrical systems. Now, here's what uh, what bothers me: How does it know the difference between the electrical system in a vehicle, the electrical system? in a building and the electrical system in a human body. Well, and that was that's that's my question is is technically what is I mean it says a neutron is a subatomic particle. Right. It's a neutron. What is a neutron bomb? The, the well the, the the neutron is essentially, you know, you have the protons and neutrons at the core right. of an atom. I want to so know what the actual you're, so with a neutron you're basically you're, you're still it's essentially fission. You're splitting that atom oh. to get the neutron. Wait a minute. This is a little different than we thought. So a neutron bomb, officially known as one type of enhanced radiation weapon, is a low-yield thermonuclear weapon in which the burst of neutrons generated by, by fusion reaction is intentionally allowed to escape the weapon rather than being absorbed by its counter components. So it's basically just a giant radiation bomb. Essentially. Wow. But radiation takes all different forms. Electricity is a form of radiation. Well, radiation would kill most electronics anyway. So, um... I mean, like, heat is a radiation... You know, light is radiation. It's you know, it's it's not necessarily like X rays or death rays or you know whatever. I, mean, I guess in this case it would be a death ray for machines. But now we're getting into technical science that this art major can't tell you. <laughs> no, and I was more interested in exactly what was the bomb doing. I mean, we're assuming that they did that just to knock out knock out the weapons, but, you know, they never show it up close what it's actually happening. Right. We did see Charleston look like a bomb had gone off in it, but... And how much of that was the bomb, and how much of that was actual mech fire? Well, it can't be the neutron bomb, because if neutron bomb radiated it, it would all still be radioactive for hundreds of years. Well, it depends on the type of radiation. Like I see, you know, like I say, regular heat is radiation. See, and since it's low yield, it's not like you're, you know, it's not necessarily like you're, like you're using plutonium, or something like that. I mean, maybe they are. It's alien tech. Who knows? If we were building it, we'd probably be using plutonium or uranium or something like that. But that's where you get the the giant nuclear weapon that we're familiar with. Yeah. 
I mean, the, these it guys... Is, it is a reality. Guys, yeah, I mean, they, these guys can cross the stars. We don't know how well they can tweak a nuclear weapon. No, but if they gave it a name, they gave it a name because it had a purpose. Sure. And so we can assume that purpose is similar to our definition of what a neutron bomb is. They didn't, Or they would have given it a different name. Right, but is that actually their name, or is that just how we translate it? No, they said neutron bombs in... Right, but keep in mind, English isn't isn't the Skitters' native language. Well, no, it isn't. The, but the, <laughs> the fact is, is they they wrote the series. We know that what they're saying is at least a close proximity. I mean, the question is exactly. Sure. It looks like, <clears throat> and I am right. A neutron bomb has a, a half life of twelve point three years. So it's it it is intense radiation, but it isn't the intense radiation of like a nuclear bomb. Um, yeah, we're not talking like Hiroshima. Or something like that. Correct, but they are. It's, it's radiation enhanced. So a lot of times, it looks like it's detonated above ground um, instead of hitting the ground and causing physical damage. But it's using X-ray. Allows to escape using X-ray mirrors for the atomically insert shell, causing such as. Oof. So, but it is a fusion reaction too. So. It's it's some it's definitely some some nasty sh- shit. I mean, there's no question there. Um, if you're a nuclear physicist and happen to watch Falling Skies, if you'd like to give us a call, please do. <laughs> yeah, please. Now, what's our number? <laughs> I have no idea. It's on the website. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Ask me questions. I don't know. Do I remember that? I answer the voicemails. I don't uh, make them. 313-437-2434. There we go. Okay. Anyway, that answers the question that it was a... It's a it's a radiation bomb, basically, make, make to knock, knock everything out and kill everything alive and wipe out everything electronic and do that that radiation does. But that tells us that Charleston's destruction wasn't done with a neutron bomb. Right. It had you, well, you said it was low-level. It was basically X-rays, which is why they could survive underground. All that concrete. Yes, but the surrounding environment that they're walking through is is not survivable. It would have been contaminated. So I'm assuming that, and and the neutron bomb wouldn't have done the physical damage that was done there. No, that so, had to be more mech action. Correct. That had to be some other type. Now, they did say that they only started using those at the beginning of the war, and that since then they haven't used them a lot. So I think what was happening is they used them at first to knock out major populations, communication networks, water, you know, well, they, the, our the, infrastructure. The, right. They, I mean, they didn't want to kill the population. They wanted to harvest the, the kids so that they could build more skitters. Yeah. And, and then, and, and that's where we were... Now, I, I wrote on episode two, Red-Eyed Skitter again. Yeah. Why? I don't even remember what happened with Red-Eyed Skitter on episode two. Well, Red-Eyed Skitter, that, that, like I said, that's where we find out that Tom's got that probe in his eye. Oh, that's right, because the probe leaves his eye, and the worm... Yeah, they, they put it in that glass jar, and it basically just, just drills a hole out. It flies and goes into the skitter eye. And goes back to the red-eyed skitter, which leaves you with this impression again of the Darth Vader scenario where right. you're thinking he's the evil guy, he's, you know, doing all this bad stuff. And what it really turns out to be is that they didn't trust him enough. There's no way anybody trusted him enough 
and he didn't trust them enough. Well, he was basically looking through Tom's eyes to see who was there, but and he, he and that's how he found Ben. Right. Which he knew he could communicate with Ben, and he could he could open up negotiations and, and work together, and blah blah blah. But exactly. he wasn't going to have a chance of convincing Tom, I guess he assumed. So he didn't even try. Exactly. Whereas with Ben, it's one of those cases where he knew there was somebody there. He just didn't know who it was. So this right. allowed him the intel to find out who. Which is kind of a... Uh, it's, it's one of those catch-22s. If you want somebody to be an ally, you don't betray them in order to do it. But at the same time, he didn't really have much of a choice. Well, he had did, to find... he, did he betray anybody? Sure he it's did. Just, it's just espionage. Uh, espionage of allies is betrayal. I'm sorry. We, we, your we keep, friend, we keep your, taps on, on our allies all the time. Yes, you do. But you don't send spies into their thing. And if you do and they get caught, then it's consi- then you're not really considered. Well, yeah, you've got a diplomatic incident at that point. Correct. But so at this it's point, one thing to also be not allies. But it's one thing to be, you know, to, to well... The fact is, is, if you want to be an ally with somebody, the last thing you do is betray them. And But in his case, I, I, I fully agree with what he did. He had to do what he had to do to get... Yeah, I mean, right, right now, about the, 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 the human race sees every skitter as the bad guy. Right. So, so this he, guy's like, okay, well, I have to keep an eye on them to find out where my best contact point will be. Right, and he finds, and he finds Ben, which works out well. Yeah. Right. And I'm not even so sure he found Ben. There's so many points here uh, of strings that were pulled, and I think there's so many strings that were left unpulled that I'm not even sure how much of it we, we captured and how much of it was just left out or didn't wasn't strong enough for us to see. So, for example, Ben goes to talk to the Red Eye Skinner at some point, but was... Um, uh, Anthony's son. What was his name? Um, that was Rick. Rick. That's it. Mike's son. I'm sorry. Rick. Yeah. Rick goes, and he's with the Skinners long before Ben is. But we don't know that until later, when Rick dies. Right. So, it could have been that Rick was like that because Rick was drawn to fight in the with these guys. Right. So Rick in season one had basically given up. He had given up and then it then but we thought he had given up. Was it the red eyed skinner trying to get I, I I think what happened was by the time he made it back, the red eyed skitter actually communicated with him. And basically said, You know what? I, I sense that maybe there's another glimmer of hope in you. We can use you. Let me tell you what we got in mind. Yeah, because at the end the the when he was when he was when he was dying, he said when he was dying or something happened. I vaguely remember something happening with Rick and him crying about his father being dead, and it was right. like months and months after it had happened. So you know something. Yeah, he basically had a, had an emotional catharsis. Yeah, it's very very interesting storytelling, but they had left it so weak that we really don't know what had gone on, and I think that. These these writers, as life is, there's so many little things that go on outside of the view of, of from the perspectives you're telling things. But at any time, that if any storyline got weak, they had so many others to, to pull from to make it strong again. Well, it's they're 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 keeping the the point of view focused on the second mass. 
So the idea is we only know what they know. So we have to kind of fill in the gaps the way they do. Yeah. But the good thing is is that what I'm saying is that they had enough alternate alternate options that when they needed to do something they could pull someone in that they had left hanging before in a way that it didn't feel like it was hanging to us because exactly. we never thought much about Rick. But now that we bring it up at any time had had been been a char- character that the people just didn't like that were watching Falling Sky or you know kind of you know blah 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 they could have easily brought Ben back and it would have been very easy for them to incorporate it back in and 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 do the rebellion that way. Sure. It was just the the writers on this are are very very multifaceted. They're very deep. That's excellent storytelling. It is excellent storytelling. All right. All right. So episode two, the red-eyed Skinner. We know that 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 dude. We find out that really, truly, he is gets the worm returned. But you know, at this point, you still think he's a bad guy. You really do. Right. right. That leads us to the bridge. So at this point, you get the impression, and they did they they did a pretty good job of telling this part of it too. The, the Skinners have really backed them into a corner. Um, and the only, you know, backed them into a little, um, landlocked them in a little passage. Now, they left one bridge the, um, open, and then they came to destroy it, but the, um, the new bullets and the 50 cal did their job. Right. There's a signal tower that, that they're trying to destroy. Well, the only reason they find the signal tower, though, is because they shoot down the skitter ship. Right. It crashes and hits the thing, and then the last piece of it goes and looks like it turns and tries to fly back to the skitter tower. And so Ben goes over there and scouts it out, swims across the to his dad's surprise. I forgot about that, how freaked out uh, Tom was that Ben was going to just swim the river. Yeah. <laughs> He's been gone for three months and doesn't understand his superpowers yet. Um, He's like, it's invigorating. <laughs> it is. It's invigorating. And, of course, this is where you start seeing the bonding between between Ben and... It's another one of these long, threaded stories where you start seeing the bonding between Ben and the young kid, the kid fighter kid. What is his name? Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. Because he has Jimmy go to the... Uh, to the edge of the river and wait for him to come back. So he goes over there and he finds this skitter tower, which I guess they figure is a, a base of operations of some kind. It's a communication tower because it's got a big communication array on the top of it. Right. And um, at the same time, they have the problem of repairing the bridge because the, the skitter ship has ripped a giant hole in the bridge. Yeah, they were thinking they 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 had it okay. They were thinking, okay, we've got a, we've got enough bridge here that we can do some repairs, and then the skitters just come in and just tear it apart. And they're like, wow, crap! So they got to rebuild the whole thing. Now, in the meantime, before they can go across the bridge, they've got to blow up that skitter communication array, or they're not going to. Ma- they know they're not going to make it across. Right, because they've got all the all the surveys. The, the surveillance probes and the ships and whatnot doing doing their recon. 
And so this this part was explained a little bit weak. I I think that the reason they should have, you know, because it seems to me if I was the skitters and you shot down one of my ships, that I'd go and check and make sure that the mission that that ship was actually accomplished, which was blow up the bridge, and if it wasn't, I'd blow the fucking bridge up. If Um, that was their mission. If that was their mission. But the fact is that they canned them all in, they blew up all the bridges except the one, and the one just happens to be across the street from communication tower implies to me that they did intend to blow that bridge up. It, it seems to me like they they were specifically waiting for it. They were kind of hurting them there. Hurting them there and then going to kill them that way. That, that could be it too. Maybe the skitter ship just hit it on accident because he got shot. Right. Um, I wish they used those... I wish those bullets were a little bit more... It, it seems like they do a whole lot of damage when they demo them and when they want them to be damaging. And then when they don't want them to be damaging, they don't... Yeah, they're not consistent about that. They're not consistent about it. Half the time, their bullets are all bouncing off of everything, and then the other yeah. half, they're, oh, look at that. That bullet ripped right through that ship. I mean, you shot down a whole entire ship. Yeah, the higher the stakes, the less damage they do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that was a, a little bit of, of, of inconsistency there. But very overlookable. I mean, um, they adapt it to everything else at this point. There's no reason why they wouldn't adapt to that. Sure. Um, so, I'm not sure exactly where between here and episode three what what happens. Um, well, this is where Tom makes makes that stand. He's makes a stand Pope, on the bridge. Right, and Pope, uh, Pope grabs the detonator and and triggers it in the hopes of oh. taking Tom out with it. And that's where this episode actually ends, isn't it? It's him, Pope, or actually not Pope, um, Tom stays on the other side, basically proving himself to the second mass that he's not skitter-controlled. Right. Defends everyone so they can get across. At the same time, they show the medical bus having a little bit of trouble getting across, got stuck on the on the thing. So Tom talks his young boy into uncuffing him and he goes out and takes the uh, the gun that we know has the big bullets in it. Yeah, he's got the big 50 cal. The big 50 cal that has, supposedly has the big bullets in it that, you know, at one mech he shoots a thousand rounds and doesn't hurt him. At the next mech he shoots twice and it falls apart. Yeah, I think that's a case of knowing where to hit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a case of it was the, the higher the risk, the more conveniently the bullets work. Better right. than work. Um, but then that skitter go, goes in and attacks Tom. Yes. And so Tom takes off running across the bridge because he's the last one there. Knowing that the bridge has been rigged to be blown up by the second mass, they're standing there and Weaver's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, let Tom get across first. Which, in reality, if you think about it, even if they had led a couple skitters across, if Tom had made it, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. They could have shot a couple of them. They just couldn't let sure. all of them across. Right. But in the midst of this, so you have um, Anthony standing there holding the charge, and uh, Pulp grabs it out of his hand and pushes it and blows the bridge up. Yeah, because he's he figures he can take out the bridge, he can take out Tom. He it's figures they're one of the same, yeah. Exactly. Or he's just chicken shit and... And, well, and he gets uh, to take out Skitters in the process. So right. it's, a, it's a three-way win for him. Right. Now, 
they're mourning the loss and blah 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 and, and I'm still surprised that someone don't just put a bullet between Pope's eyes at this point um, there was I'm no dis- surprised Tom never did it well and what was amazing here too is that there was no discussion really about from Weaver to Anthony uh, why did you set that off early they, ne- they already know the answer it's because Pope's the jerk yeah, but if Pope had done it, you think there would have been a little bit of uh, backlash there, and there was a little bit, a little bit later when when um, Mason finally showed up, but it wasn't really all that much. I was kind of surprised. I figured there'd be a a, a hanging, but there wasn't. Yeah. Um, and him showing up out of the water was that at the end of episode two or at the beginning yes. of episode three? It yes, was at the, the episode. Ep- yes, the end of episode two. He, he comes up. He's greeted by the survivors, and, and Pope's basically got this this look because you know he just apologized to Hal, saying, "You know, sorry about your dad." And Hal, uh, Hal just decks him, and that's when Tom shows up. Unbelievable! I would have shot him. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm really surprised, like Ben or Hal, just didn't, didn't take him out right there. But then we we pan back to the medical bus, and they have that that eye worm thing. That they put in the glass jar, and that's when it drills flies a out hole and, it, and flies off. Flies back to red eye. Flies back to the red eye skitter. Yep. So, which has got to be the nastiest looking thing when it just hits his eye, and it's like the slurping sound. Oh, it was disgusting. The whole thing was just—it was—it <laughs> was pretty bad. It was pretty gross. It uh, yeah. Well, that kind of that kind of that kind of leaves you with the end of episode two, where you know he's back, he's proven his point, all's good in the in the in the Mason family, and um, Pope's on the hate box again, putting everything back where you know things were normal there, and then we move on to episode three. Right. So at this point, they move into an airport hangar. But because it's all drafty and cold, they've, they've got concerns about their health. And the Berserkers are off on the side going, we're going to get rid of Tom. We can't handle him anymore. Now, it is also notable that here, Ben is taking Jimmy out. Yes. And doing their own version of patrolling the... Uh, their um, area that they're supposed to be patrolling a certain distance out. Well, they're going way out, and they're hunting. Yeah, yeah they're told to do recon, and they're basically doing hunting patrols, taking right. out as many skitters as they can. So, uh, and, and, and so I was uh, it caught them off guard a couple of times because, and you knew, that, and the funny thing is they feed these little things to you as you're going along, so... As they're coming back from one of these patrols, they run into one of Pope's crazy schemes. Right. Which him and his um, um, buddies, what are they yeah, called? The Berserkers. The Berserkers, uh, decide they're going to capture Pope. Or, excuse me, capture Pope. Huh. Capture, capture Tom. Tom. And they're going to take him out beyond the patrol area. Which just happens to be where 
Ben and Jimmy are disobeying orders. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. Just happens right. to be. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean by this season's kind of loaded with those coincidences. Well, with knowing that... If, I mean, based, based on the terrain, though, that might be the logical progression. Because Pope actually calls it out and says, hey, you, you guys aren't even supposed to be out here. Right. No, he calls them out on it. They're not supposed to be out there. No, you're absolutely right. But you have 360 degrees all the way around you, and uh, they walk through the one spot where they're standing. Sure. So, where but with his hearing, But a lot of that is explainable with his hearing being what it is and him kind of being on high alert with adrenaline because of what him and, and Jimmy had just done. I mean, they had just wasted oh, yeah. those... Those um, those skitters, but the, the the notable key here was the feed for the, the going going to the future for 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 Ben. You've seen that chit-eaten grin on his face when he's killing the skitters again. Even yeah, you know, even though he shot his dad and all that had happened, he still brings a lot of pleasure from living on the edge of of hunting the skitters and. And killing him, it has, it didn't, it didn't bring him all the way back home. Is what the the idea here is, right? He still wants blood, and he's still out to get it. So Pope's thing goes to hell in a handbasket because <laughs> Jimmy and uh, and Ben show up and stop him from executing Tom because it looked like he was just going to execute him. Yeah, Ben outright just nearly executes Pope. Yeah, which I still think he should have, but that would have been an <laughs> been an easy end to it. I think Pope, <laughs> as smart as Pope was, he also pushed it a couple of times to the point where it could have been the end of him, or it should have been the end of him. Yeah, but see now he's got two Masons that have been infected, and they're both here, and they've got the drop on it. Yeah. He is not a happy camper. Yeah. Yeah, I know he's he's not a happy camper and it just uh Now, after that happens is when things start really getting interesting because here we are, you know, Pope has decided that or actually Tom has decided that the best punishment that that Weaver could give um, Pope, because they need him, he's a good fighter, and so on and so forth, and they really can't afford to lose another fighter at this point, which is an arguable argument. Um, yeah. Well, they're taking into account everything that Pope's brought to the table so far. Between his cooking, his enhanced weaponry, his fighting skills. Yeah. So, they assign Tom to... Yeah, Tom, Tom volunteers to join the, the Berserkers. Yep. And Weaver's like, are you out of your mind? And Pope's <laughs> like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and the answer to that is yes. He is Absolutely. out of his mind. <laughs> it's like, see, the skitters messed him up. What more proof do you need? And then that kind of settles down. You think everything's great. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, Jimmy and, and Ben go out on another hunt. Yep. And this one doesn't end as well as the other ones does. This one... Um, they get a couple skinners and they use a special incinerary round that explodes and catches and burns everything to the ground and Dragon's Breath. Dragon's Breath, that's the name of it, yeah. And uh 
And um, one of the skitters gets a hold of Jimmy and flings him. And normally the flinging that gets done in, in a show like this, including here, it it doesn't hurt people as much as you would think that it would. Yeah, they just don't, they just drop unconscious or something. Yeah, but it this kind of reminds me of reminds me of that scene in Iron Man where he uh, checking his thrusters to see if he could fly, and he pushes the button and it shoots him up, smacks him into the ceiling, and he falls back exactly. on the ground. Exactly. You gotta wonder <laughs> what kind of shock absorbers are inside the armor. Yeah. So. He, he picks Jimmy up and he flings him and he hits the uh, a tree and there was a broken off tree limb that just yeah it just impales him right to the gut yeah Ugh. it's it wasn't pretty it was uh, and it was one of those kind of shockers where you're like you know up to this point they haven't been real big on on pulling a Game of Thrones style kills but it, you felt it happen here here you've yeah, got a character that they've built for a season and a half and you feel something great coming and Boom, he's dead. Yeah, it's another another signal that says nobody's safe. <laughs> yeah. So And what's worse is it's the rebel skitters. That we don't know are the rebel skitters at this point. Yeah. So if you're taking that into context, it's like you you want to be friends and you just killed one of ours. Yeah, but that does enable the red-eyed skitter, which you assume again at this point that he's evil and that he's manipulating Ben, and he's not. He's communicating with Ben and explaining what's going on and showing him in a way that only skitter-connected craziness could do it. Well, no, he, he's controlling Ben because Ben's about to kill him for, for taking out Jimmy. Well, yeah, and he stops Skitter just him from holds that. his hand up. It, it's it's like the Skitter equivalent of the Force, because he's, yep. he's able to co- uh, he's able to plug right in. Right, he plugs right in, but he doesn't he doesn't have him do anything. He just stops him from attacking, so he can explain to him what's right. going on. Because as soon as he comes out of that, he's like, "Oh my God, these are our friends." Right, and, and that's the bigger show of trust. It says, "Hey, I can control you." Yeah, but I'm only going to do it to this limit to you know, to stand down your threat. And, um, and I mean, that's got to be one incredible revelation. Well, and this episode was just full of, of, of new stuff. It was really kind of amazing in the first two episodes of this season how they mopped up all the outstanding storylines mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, started off a few new ones. The... The bug in the, the red eye Skinner's mind really seemed like the end of a storyline, when in reality we didn't know it was the beginning of one. Um, so there was a few things that got, but they really, they mopped it all up nice and clean, everything was back to normal, and then the beginning of the episode three, it just started off all over again, with them just launching multiple threads of yeah, Ben going on killing sprees, Pope going, you know, um, coming after Tom, um, then Jimmy dying, and then... And then, the plane lands at the airport. Yep. Um, Very old plane, too. Yeah, so it's it's a non-electrical, truly 100% mechanical, probably World War One, maybe World War Two, early yeah, World a, it, War Two. It's an old propeller plane. Yeah, old an old, old propeller, propeller plane. <laughs> where, um, and she gives a, a, a cl- plausible, but very suspicious story about, you know, flying around below radar and 
And um, now, what is below radar for skitters? <laughs> that was a very. Weak... I mean, I get it. Though. I mean, her plane—it's so old that it's basically it's made out of out of wooden cloth. Yeah, and she said so, that it was I mean, made out of wooden cloth, and yeah, there's there's not there's nothing metal to to send signals back. So. Yeah, but you know the skitters haven't been exactly. Uh, They've been zeroing in on heat, and I've noticed throughout the Which, episode, since the episode of the heat, that they've maintained putting the the insulation on top of the cars, but they yeah. really haven't main, gotten a little sloppy. They're just kind of sloppily strapped on there, and it just, like, solves the problem, like, oh, la la Well, it's, it doesn't really solve it, it's just masking it temporarily. Yeah, but, well, originally, though, it was, well, we can, we can hide for a couple of hours at max, and and you know, but now it's like the motorcycles don't matter anymore, and the 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 rugs are barely attached on the top, and it's kind of. Well, it, it may be one of those cases where the whereas they keep using those solutions, they just fall apart. Yeah. So could they just be. simply don't have the resources anymore. Yeah. No, it could be. But either way, she shows up in this in this plane, lands at the airport. Weaver, of course, contains her until they leave. They're heading to the mountains. Yeah, they're going to hole up in the mountains for the winter, and she's like, well, i got a better idea. <laughs> Let's go to Charleston, yep. which obviously includes a trek down the coastline. Um, hundreds of miles. I've driven it multiple times myself. Um and so, a matter of fact, every time I drive into Charleston, I think of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should find that mall. Yeah, I should go get go get a go get a nice selfie in front of it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, go find that that uh, hospital too, or that school. There you go. That would be cool. So it's you know she's basically left with you know. Telling them, look, there's a there's a life in Charleston. There's a new government. Um, yeah, they've got a Continental Congress. A Continental Congress, which she doesn't tell them is it's one person. <laughs> which I guess Continental Congress would would mean an abbreviated version, but I'm not sure. Well, they they've got a whole Congress. It's just they they've got one guy that's acting as the leader. He's president, but president was too pretentious. But we're getting ahead. Yeah. So they've um, got a they've got a Congress. They they've got a central command. And basically, it's you know. And they, he, she says that right. They've got electricity. They've got hot water. I mean, she's making it sound like they're they're recreating civilization. Yep. No, and she and uh, nothing that she said wasn't true either. Exactly. But we didn't know that. They're they're all looking at her like, no, this is pie in the sky. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I I think the big difference here is now knowing what we know is you know there were Mason and and Weaver and that group is fighting the war and these dudes are just hiding from it. Right, and it's one of those cases of can we afford to be to be that comfortable? Yeah. You know, can can we afford to give in to that hope, only to have it snatched away? Now, 
that brings up the last major item that happened during this show. Is all this is going on, and of course, you know the. I don't remember if Ben showed up with the big with the red-eyed skitter. It was Ben uh, walked him in, or did he just show up at the front door? No, he. Ben came in the front door, saying that they wanted to meet. Right. And when they wouldn't meet, no, 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 that's at uh, that's the red-eyed skitter shows up at the grave. They 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 do Jimmy's funeral. Oh yes, you're right. Okay, Jimmy's funeral and all that. So basically, the red-eyed skitter ends up in their base wanting to talk about a reunion or a uh, rebellion. Um, the only person at this point that believes anything is going on is Ben. But of course, Ben has spikes, so nobody can believe anything he says. Exactly. Even though, you know, he's been fighting with them for months on end now. <laughs> it always annoys me about shows when somebody says, you know, the sky is falling, and 30 times in a row the sky has been falling, and he saved the world because he said, when he says it the 31st time, will you please just believe him? <laughs> um, I know, I know. <laughs> so... That completely and totally falls apart, though. I mean, it just... Uh, Weaver... This is where we come into the difference between Weaver and Tom here. Tom is looking for basically any edge he can find to get one up on the bad guys to fight the war and win. Right. Weaver is looking... For any insurrection that might cause any problems today, right now, get rid of it. Right. Weaver is all about discipline and command. He's trying to keep the, the situation together. Tom is fighting the war. Right. You've got one but, that's the visionary and one that's the, uh, I don't know what I call it, the realist, but at this point that might be the right word for it. Yeah, that's essentially it. I mean, they both have purpose to what they're saying um, right without Tom Weaver just keeps things together a day at a time until it falls apart without Weaver Tom has nobody that can enact the vision right nobody that can make sure that he doesn't take it too far and lose everything in a big gamble right so it's a perfect payoff it is and and it's it was mentioned multiple times during the series just how much they appreciated the uh, the fact that um, uh, what's that commander's name Colonel Porter had Porter. teamed them together right and so it was it was and, and I can remember Hal saying it not Hal I can remember Tom saying it multiple times and I can remember Weaver saying it once or twice yeah. So all these new storylines have all launched at the you know all within the third episode. You've got you know Ben going on these these crazy hunts, characters dying, Jimmy gets gets killed, Pope has just gone berserker crazy. Well, this is where Pope actually leaves. Yeah, because he he's worried about Tom, he's worried about Ben, and he accuses Ben of having killed Jimmy, even though we know that's not the case. Yep. And so he, he basically says he's going to leave, and um, nobody backs him up. I mean, 
Anthony goes with him. Right, but it's more, for that, it's more of a case of Pope did save his life, and he wants to make sure the Pope doesn't double back and try a double cross. Right. Um, as it turns out, later on, exactly the opposite happens, but we'll get to right. that in, in due time. Um, I mean, there's just there was so much going on in this one. I remember when I was watching it thinking, wow, they have really launched into a barrage of new threads it was well done but there's just a lot of new stuff going on for as much wrap up as they did in episode one and episode two it was kind of like okay that was season one now we know we're going to be here for a while let's start the rest of the story right and they did it all with a catharsis of having the whole funeral yes and it's kind of amazing this much was actually in one in one episode because it just it's I mean we've been on, on on episode three now for quite a while but it it had a lot in it. Yeah. And then, you, I mean, you get all the way through the funeral, and then right at the end there, like, Ben just just loses it. Yeah. I mean, he just has a complete breakdown. Yeah. That, I mean, uh... that it's like when, when he does that, it's like you realize just how much has actually gone on. You know, because you, you're kind of feeling it, too. You're like, wow, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Ben Ben Ben's feeling the the guilt of of Jimmy dying. I yep. mean, they've said it multiple times, but it's really hard to understand that Ben is is 16 years old, and no matter how much we think he's matured and and grows into it, no matter how much war changes people and all that, he's still 16 years old. And when his friend Jimmy dies he realizes he's not invincible exactly and if he, even if he is the people that he he's can with only do so much yeah exactly he can only do so much to protect them right he's he's not perfect he can't um, save everyone from everything so this this is where he starts getting the idea in his head that perhaps he should join up with the rebel skitters because it puts his own people out of harm's way he can do what has to be done and he can do it on their terms. Now, you know that—that's where he starts getting that uh, that idea. Yeah, he starts getting that idea here, and I'm trying to remember forward where it was that he that he actually takes off. But I guess we'll get there in due time. Um, yeah, it was the. I want to say it's the next couple of episodes. Yeah, but it was it. It's another one of these, you know. They don't have story arcs to say in this. I mean, it's all one big story, but there's 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 thread arcs, as I call them, you know, where they start a thread and there's like multiple threads going on and they're bouncing around telling multiple stories all at one time and they're all interweaved. Right. And they're all very well interweaved. Um, but episode three was just full of new threads. There was a lot of new launch points here. A lot of new things happened from the rebellion to going to Charleston to... Are we going to go live in the mountains to Ben, you know, maturing so much to the point where, you know, he loses loses somebody and, and feels the guilt of leadership to and making decisions and good or bad on his own part to Pope taking off on his own to Pope going after Tom to to really those two germinating more of a hatred instead of a love-hate relationship to a hate-hate relationship. I mean, 
up to this point, as as much as Pope was a thorn in Mason's side and Tom's side, he never felt like Mason was a traitor. He just didn't like the way Mason did things. Right. But now he thinks Mason's just compromised. Right. Now he thinks, now he honestly thinks Mason's compromised, and Mason knows that the guy's just nuts and wants him dead. So there's there was a true hate that started germination there in within this with with Pope's brazen way of doing things. Yeah. Um it's, it's, Tom says he feels bad about almost killing Pope. Yeah. You know, when, when Pope took Jimmy's compass. Yeah. And, you know, and then, of course, Weaver made it a little bit better, but I don't think Tom understood Weaver made it a little bit better because that was Weaver's compass that he was going to give to his daughter. And so... <laughs> yeah, I love that. Jim, Jimmy's like, he's like, Jimmy was a good soldier, but he had no sense of direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a real that was a real touching moment because it was like you could see it in, in Ben's in Ben's face. He was like, "Yeah, you're right. His sense of direction sucked." <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so there was a lot going on in, in, in episode three. It really leads into a lot of of uh, a lot is fed on the rest of the season based on what happens in episode three. I mean, I would I, don't, I haven't checked this state that statement, but I would bet that just about every thing that happens happened because of something in episode three going forward. Yeah, th- this was a this was a very pivotal episode. Every, everything just just turned. Now there is one more new thing that happens in episode four, which really changes things. Also, um, this is when when they they. Um, they first of all they find Jane with the kids, which is Weaver's daughter. Yeah, Jean. Jean. Is it Jean or Jane? Jean. Jean. I wrote Jane. Um, they find Jean, you know, hanging out with the other kids and stuff. Which you know Weaver had assumed his kids were all dead, and you know kind of blamed himself for it all up to this point. Right. And, and you could also see that in that group of Kids that that Gene was, for all practical purposes, the boy, the girlfriend of the leader. Yeah, she she's the mobster mall. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, yeah, D- Diego is he, he's an interesting guy. I I kind of like this character. I'm kind of surprised that they let this character go and not become an allied force. That they would coincidentally run into multiple times throughout the, the thing. Yeah, I, I honestly thought that it, at some point, you know, maybe Pope would call him out to the dark side or something. And then they just never went there. Yeah, no, they didn't. That, yeah, they, they, it's like he had such potential to go either direction. They just sort of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just let it. I guess, I guess his evilness was was good enough that he just disappeared with Jane, and and that was the end of it. You know, right. Um which I'm skipping ahead here, but that's how that ep- episode four ends with Jane leaving with, uh, well, let, let's go back to the beginning of episode four. Cause that, that's where you, you see some really screwball stuff. You got Matt on his scooter. Yeah. And he's basically being used as skitter bait. Ah, uh, was that this episode? Yeah. Holy crap. 
Yeah, but you don't know that at the time. So here he is skating through downtown, this little downtown loading docks for trucks. You know, the typical ones you'd see where they go around this building, and there's and there's these little um, metal rails for people to walk to not get run over by the 18-wheeler. And then he go, turns into this loading dock, and it's a dead end. And he turns around and looks, and a skitter jumps over the edge. And then as the camera backs up and he backs up into the loading dock, there's another skitter hanging from the roof. And as the skitter moves towards him, um, you're going to have to help me with character names here. I don't remember yeah, their name. Uh, it was uh, Tector. Tector was his name. And then, uh, oh, God, who was the other one? But he ends up being a... a an old uh, what was he was he Navy Marines oh Marine that's right he was a Marine yeah, we, so yeah it's like a, episode 8 when we find that out yeah so he ends up being a, you know a, a gunnery sergeant in the right. Navy or in the Marines and um, but he, he <laughs> takes some some other new weapon that they've got or new bullet that they've got Hits the skitter right in the head. I mean, the head just explodes. I mean, it. Yeah, it, you're sitting there looking at that, going, "How much blood is in that body?" It. Well, the amazing part was, is it reminded me of, you know, how people set jars up on the on on wood out in the woods and they shoot them with guns. It reminded me of somebody doing that, but taking a jar of spaghetti sauce and shooting it with a shotgun from about two feet away. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah, and Matt's <laughs> just up against the wall, covered in this stuff. And they zoom in on him, and his his eyes just light up. He's like, "That was awesome!" <laughs> yeah, you think he's gonna freak out and start crying and stuff, and he's like, "That was freaking awesome!" Now, what you don't know is that he was sent out there by Tom to help them patrol. Right. And if they ran into anything, he was to, a runner. To to take but off this, running and report back. But this is like skitter, uh, skitter victim number 27 and 28, something like that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so we don't have Ben going out and doing a couple hunting in the middle of the night. No, because he's all to blame for everything that happens later. We got this dude shooting 27 or 28 of them in downtown area. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom goes ballistic when he finds out. Oh, I think he's just going to bury this guy. I mean, he's and he's like a and right off he realizes what he's done wrong. I mean, right off to his credit, he realizes yeah. just how ludicrous it was to send an eight-year-old kid in a skitter bait so they could blow their heads off. Now the other guy, the other guy's clueless. He's like, "What's the problem? We got him." He's like, "Yeah, what's the problem? We had, we didn't miss." And He's like, but what if you had missed? I mean, and you think about it, it of all the reactions Tom has sometimes, this, this is one, his uh, most human reaction, really. It, it really, really is. Was. I'm surprised he didn't just tear the guy's head off. His restraint is admirable. <laughs> it was, it, this was one of the best, uh, uh, <laughs> best ones I've seen yet. I mean, he just... Uh, and I'm surprised... The gunnery sergeant guy, I, him, his reaction, I expected. He accepted it. He, he's like, you know what? You're right. I screwed up. I'll take whatever I got to take. I'll take my, my. Yeah, he, he is standard good old boy. He's like, yeah, I done messed up, Paul. Yeah, and and he sucked it up. He did whatever he had to do to work his way, you know, 
um, back into his good graces again. But yeah, man, he, was, he was on the latrine duty. And... <laughs> he was on crap duty for God knows how long. I mean, it was every bad thing. He's like, he brought him in at one point to. Uh, Tom brought him in at one point. I guess he was just teasing him, thinking that he he was going to you know take him off. And he says, "You see those bags over there? They're full of laundry. Go wash them." It's yeah. like, wow. It's like, and we need you for this raid. Yeah. And when but, we're back, you know, when we get back, you're back on crap duty. Yeah. <laughs> and he's happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he realized just how much of a screw up that really was. Just how bad of a choice it was and he accepted that but it took 28 skitters to figure it out <laughs> that, that's the part that amazes me <laughs> yeah it was a uh, what was it 28 or 29 I, I want to hear here's, here's what I want to know if this is the way it's been going on for, tw- for 28 skitters <laughs> hello so here's my question. You got 28 skitters that they've done this to. How many different sets of clothes is Matt going through covered <laughs> in blood? And who is the who is this lucky guy that gets to knock out all that blood? Because I can't imagine he's got that many changes of clothes. And he's no. got to hide this from Dad. No, but I, I don't think necessarily you're looking at this in the right way. I think the reason his eyes were so big and the reason he was so surprised and thought it was so awesome is because it was such a close call. Oh, I'm sure that was the the, the first so, time it was covered to that extent, but you figure even then, he's going to get some skitter blood on it. I mean, it's been 28 skitters. Well, hopefully he was shot when the skitters were well down the ramp and not five you feet hope. away. You hope. But I think this time caught him off guard because there was two skitters and so he shot the one first and then he shot the one next to him. Which splattered all over the freaking place. That was that was. That was I mean, I I don't think I ever truly appreciated what their laundry duty was like until this episode. But you know what? This this goes to show you <laughs> the the. Here we are talking about it as if as if it had really truly happened. It's hard to believe that on a TV series budget, that that could be so damn realistic. Oh yeah, that's what sells it. I mean that—that's the part that's amazing. Not only did we see it and did it, it and, and was it believable, but it, it, there's nothing there's nothing to call into question about it. it. As far as we were concerned, that's what actually happened. Yeah, it's very very good. And the, the visuals on it are just amazing because they've got this perfect blend. You know, they they use a lot of practical effects, and the CG is only there for when they can't possibly do something in a practical effect. You know, it's it's not like they're relying fully on CG. Yeah. So, like when the skitter's head explodes, that's a real skitter head exploding. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem I have with the whole thing is that uh, the blood flew in the wrong direction. Um, right. It, it all <laughs> went at Matt instead of you know, yeah, down, it, down on the ground beside the skitter. Yeah, I mean, he was up above and behind Matt. It should have flown out and not backwards towards the... It's the Kennedy magic bullet. Yeah, (laughs) it was. But it didn't matter because, as as Matt said, that is so cool. (laughs) 
it's that part reminded me so much of of what they do in The Walking Dead. You know, with, with there's there's so much of it that could be done untastefully. Oh yeah. But yet, occasionally, you need just enough to remind you of what yeah. it is. And it, yeah. if it's done right, it's not just pure disgusting. It's all oh, that was cool. But if well, they did it every kid, day, it wouldn't be any good. And for a kid like Matt, so, something like that that is truly disgusting is that much more awesome. <laughs> I mean, think of the story he's got now. Yeah. <laughs> Up to it's the like, point. oh, what did you do today? Well, I learned my ABCs and I helped pack some ammo. What did you do? I led, a, uh, I led an attack on skitters and I got covered in skitter blood. Up to the fact that his dad heard it. <laughs> He was fine until his dad heard him telling the story. It yeah. was so cool that, you know, I, I I led them around the corner and then they splattered them. And he's like, uh, "Wait, you what? <laughs> I thought you were on, I thought you were on runner duty. <laughs> what happened to Recon? If you saw a skitter, you were supposed to come back fast. It's like, well, I did run into a pre-selected area where they you know, where they got popped. You know, it's, no." <laughs> <laughs> I, can, pretty... I, I can't even imagine having kids in the real world having kids in this situation I, oh. I feel for Tom I really do you know his his oldest is playing G.I. Joe his his middle kid is playing Punisher and now the youngest is doing skitter bait traps <laughs> I can't imagine what's going through his head <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's pretty bad. It was. Uh, uh, I, I just I love that whole sequence though. It, it, there's there's very there's there's a lot of really good acting and a lot of really good show here, but there's there's some of these scenes are just they're classics and that's one of them. That's yeah. It's just a classic. Unfortunately, there isn't one of those great quotes to go with it, so you can live with it forever. You know. That was awesome. That was, it was, but that was awesome. Has always been that was awesome. So, um, it won't mean anything special to everybody who's who's seen it. But right. still, it was pretty darn awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the one where they also um, run into the, harn- the harnessing farm. Yeah, and that information comes from from um, Jan. Gene, 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 Jan, Jane. I'm gonna get one of these days. I'm gonna get it right. Matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix my Jane on my notes right now and put Gene. It's J E A N N E. So Gene. There you go. Or Jeannie. That's what I'm gonna say now. You watch. Well, that well, that's what uh, what Weaver calls her. So Gene, um, I think, brings the information about a harnessing farm. To them, I think it was her, and so they go. They go to this place to. They want to. Oh no! no. This is what happened. They go back to to, yeah, they, to they their go home back and base. Find out that, that the skitters were there, and they took some of the kids. It took everybody except. There's like the one survivor. Yep, except the one survivor, and so they go back to to Tom and 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 Weaver and. Weaver's typical plan is play it cautious and do nothing. And um, Tom's, you know, let's let's come up with a plan and go out there not half cocked and everything. And uh, and the kids get anxious and take off on their own, which right. of course leads to the same thing that it always leads to. 
they all get captured and they're you all. You didn't follow the plan. You got screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so, as um, Tom and Weaver show up with Ben and Hal, Tom, Weaver, Ben, and Hal, the whole group, including Di. Including Di. Which the invisible character, which is still there, I'm watching. Um, I will be for a few more episodes anyway. Um, they've got them on the tables, about ready to harness them. You see them, you know, this big tank of sludge. Yeah, they got the little skitters swimming around in there. Every now and then it pops one out. contact with them. And every now and then it pops one out, puts it on their back, they scream, and they go calm. And you yeah, know. I love that they've got like a whole assembly line. They, yeah. they just come down the slide, <laughs> then they walk up the back, <laughs> then they do a little dance, <laughs> and then they go, jump. <laughs> yeah. And they stand up on two feet, and they go, yeah, right in your back. It's like... Just enough time that if somebody wants to pop it or grab it, they can do it. It's like, hey, we'll pose here. What do you think? <laughs> so they get in at just the time to save all the kids, and 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 Matt doesn't get harnessed it because, of course, Matt had to go with him because you know he he he's mad at his dad for for getting mad at him for luring right splatterbrain. Skitters in, and um, what? One of the kids did get harnessed, though. Which one was it? Yeah, that was the first one. It was. It was like a just one of the so extras. A red shirt. Yeah, basically. Okay. But then, but then uh, it was Matt and Gene on the table, so you had the most important ones that nobody wanted to get harnessed. Yeah. So and they then, rush in at the last minute and save the world, and walla walla walla. But in the meantime, Weaver gets bit. Weaver gets bit, and Ben connects to the to the um, to the tank or to something there. I don't know. Yeah, it's more it's more the the harness things in the tank, and, um, and his spikes start going. His spikes got going, so he he of course instead of telling everybody, look, this tank is dangerous, he just goes crazy and starts shooting shit. Um, PTSD. <laughs> yeah. He just uh, he goes berserk and um, bl- shoots the tank, and water splatters everywhere. And there's you know little um, harness dudes running all over the place. And um, personally, I think I would have turned to to die and say, "Hey, you have those plastic explosives you always have under your jacket." And he would have said yes, and I would have planted it underneath, and we would have all walked out the front door, and the place would have blown up. You know, it'd be really awesome here. C4. Yeah, <laughs> a big pound of C4 that you seem to always have in your pocket. And then we'll just walk away with the explosion behind us, and we won't look at it, and we'll look cool. Yeah. But instead, <laughs> I'm going to freak out, and I'm going to lose my cool again, and I'm going to just start shooting and hope that nobody else gets bit except Weaver. And um, Weaver gets bit on the leg. Yeah, he, he's basically crippled from, like, the knee down on the, on the backside of his leg. Yeah, that, was... that thing just latches in, and Weaver just grabs it and rips it out. Yeah, it was pretty ugly. Hey, Weaver grabbed it, or was it his daughter? Was it was it Gene that did it? I think it was Gene that did it. Okay. I vaguely, I, I, I when you said it, I, I remembered seeing Gene do it. She shot it. She grabbed it. She did something. But yeah, all I know is it didn't go without a fight. Oh, it, it. I mean, you, you heard something rip, and it wasn't just clothing. 
Yeah, no, it 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 got it got its point across, and and um, of course Weaver and his typical um, "I'm fine, leave me alone." Take my. Yeah, it's like go on without me. Take my friend; he's hurt worse. Like here's your straw, you martyr. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty much all there really was in episode four. I mean, it was all about the harnessing farm. It was all about the kids, you know, being taken and then le- leading them to the harnessing farm. And and the daughter, obviously, at the very end of this, you know, yeah, she she leaves the note for Weaver. And she's going out with Diego again. Yeah, you know, she just feels that Diego is her love of her life and that's where she's going which I mean you really couldn't blame her at that point apparently they've had a little bit of a rough I guess he had an anger issues is what I was gathering from everything said yeah he not only was he not father of the year but now she's got the guilt of if she hadn't been in this situation he would never have gotten injured yeah and they were doing okay before that so let's go back to the way it was yeah thinking that you know Un- unknowingly knowing uh, not being young enough to not understand that shit happens and just because it happened doesn't mean that it's going to happen again it doesn't mean it's going to be the same again exactly matter of fact it means usually quite the opposite that it'll never be the same again and it's definitely going to happen again and it's an alien invasion yeah count on it count on it <laughs> but um yeah what what exactly is safe now The next episode, I'm sitting here thinking, was there anything else in episode four? But I think that was pretty no, that, much it. that's where they ended it. It was a, uh, it, it was pretty thoroughly focused on the kids, the harnessing farm, and the daughter leaving. I mean, it, it, the only thing that really happened during episode four, it was fairly episodic when you think about it. Yeah. Weaver discovers that his daughter's alive. She shows up. She's with a bunch of people. They go to a harnessing. You know, they. They get some food. They go back. Their kids are gone. They go to the go save the kids from the harnessing farm, and then they all leave again, all of them. Yeah. Um, really, nothing's different from the beginning at the end, except Weaver's knows his daughter's out there and she's alive, and that she loves Diego more than her, him. Then that takes us to episode five. Five. Halfway point. And this one didn't have um, as much in it, um, but the big thing here is is that, and, and I don't even—I I got really lousy notes on this one, so I'm going to have you help me out a little bit on this one. No problem, no problem. Um, but if I remember correctly, this is the episode um, where basically Weaver is debilitated. I mean, just taken out of the picture. I believe so. His infection gets so bad that they have to either A, Thomas decided that they've got two choices. Either A, he can die, or B, they can throw him on a truck and drive him to Charleston with what little gas they've got, and then he realizes that Weaver's been hiding the fact from him that they don't have any gas, and they haven't had any luck in finding more supplies, and that's why they haven't left. He's been keeping 
the um, the um, generators on with the, what little diesel they have to give everybody kind of a break and to regenerate. And I'm assuming you, he you was, know what I think. I think we're a few episodes ahead here because I'm starting to think this is more like episode seven. No. No, I don't think so. Because this is one also where we find out that Mag- Maggie has cancer and she does that at the hospital where they find the drugs. Right. Okay, Karen Okay, Karen comes back in episode 6 and they were already at the hospital. So yeah, that's got to be the right. Right. Now, in this one Rick does come back, which is right. the, which is the the um the other kid that was spiked in addition to Ben Mike's son, Rick right. and he comes back and um, yeah there's there's this big he, firefight and there's like you know they come across the, the remnants of this firefight and there's all kinds of dead skitters but there's no humans and then that's when they find Rick in the rubble right and he basically warns them that you know, poop's about to hit the fan. They're coming after them. Yeah. They know they're there, and they're coming after them. That they couldn't keep the information. I couldn't keep. I couldn't. I don't remember if he said they couldn't keep the information from them, or they tortured it out of them, or whatever the case may be. Somehow, they know where they're held up, and they've got to go. Now, this gives. Tom a big problem because A, he's got he's got Weaver down which they did find us a, a, a possible solution for Weaver which was take his blood out of his thing, heat it up to 105, killing any infection cool it back down to 98.6 and pump it back into his system which is just freaky to think about even under the best of circumstances <laughs> which is freaky to think about but when you think about the human body and its natural ability to give you a temperature in order to achieve similar results right it's um, just it's just anything over 105 is lethal right which is why they have to cool it back down because right. obviously that same that, thing well we, that's also why they have to pump it out of his body to do it right because it needs to go hotter than what the human body can do correct so they they get and I'm not sure of the guy's name. What is that? The the guy that ends up being their engineer and building. That's everything. Jamil. 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 Okay. So Jamil figures out a way within the hospital to uh, it looks like a dialysis machine to me. Probably is. <laughs> and um, he basically hooks up the dialysis machine, they start pumping Weaver, everything looks like it's going to be okay, and the generators all go dead. Now, Tom's stuck with a bunch of problems here. A lot of problems, actually. He can't leave to go to Charleston. He's got an assault coming. Weaver's down and dying. He don't have any gas. Rick's under guard. So they've got a prisoner. Rick's under guard. And things do finally bust open a little bit. Um, the scouts come back with tons of fuel. Yeah. Now that's good news because that, in the meantime, he's built up the defenses. He's made the place strong. 
Um, and then uh, this part is so gray to me. Um, is this the one where they get a hold of the the alien? The alien. The, the red eye skitter. Fish head. Oh, um... Crap. Nope. He, fish head's captured in episode 7, so no. Um, right, because they, they have Karen first. That's episode 6. And then she leads them back to the, to the Overlord. And that's yeah. where they get him. So basically, they're set here, you know, defending defending this base. They're they're you know searching for fuel. They're um, you know they they find some fuel. They're defending the place, and I mean it's pretty much a, a fairly fairly. I don't remember any major other major things going on here. Do you? Well, the, the well the major revelation was that this is where the the full Skitter Rebellion gets explained. And this is where Hal and Maggie start to build a relationship. Right. Um, well, and Tom and Ann do, too. Their, their relationship starts yes. to progress. Which will have more consequences. And, and and we're also... This is where they also find the... the, the cache of drugs. And this is why Maggie sits outside and doesn't want to go into the hospital. and Right. And so on and so forth. Which actually brings us back to, if you think about episode 5, where Maggie just bound and determined not to go in the hospital. You remember way back at the very beginning, she went in the hospital to save them, but she refused to earlier also. Yeah. It's one of those cases where... She, you didn't where realize she, what she had done until it was you realized right. later just how much she was offended by going into a hospital. Right. If she has time to think about it, it screws her over. Yeah. So it 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 shows she was definitely out for that. I mean, that's and the funny thing is, is is as much crap as Maggie had been through, you never trust, you never question her loyalty through the entire show ever, not even once. No, but they sure try. Yeah. You know, Pope Pope tries to drive that wedge. It's like you know, how long before he finds out about you? Yeah. Well, and then she that, that kind of thing. She explains it and puts an end to it and everything, but. Uh, so once you understand Maggie's cancer there, now you don't. What you don't understand is after the cancer, all the stuff that happened. But you do understand now where she's. It gives reasonable explanation why she knows where all the drugs are and where everything is, and and what she's been through and why she's the way she is, and it kind of brings a little bit of credibility to her story, even it also though it's not lends the whole story. To, yeah, it lends a lot to her strength too, because she's already seen every amount of crap there is. And her her entire thing is just keep your head down and plow through. Yeah. Now, Rick coming back, talk to me about that. What do you remember about Rick coming back in this episode? Because he was with the uh, Rebellion. Right. So, basically, you know, they, they find the Skitters, and there's there's obviously been this battle, but there's no humans that anybody can tell. Then they find Rick in the process. So, they, they take him back, patch him up, and that's that's when we get uh, we get Red Eye back in there, and Red Eye gives them the full explanation of how 
a hundred years ago, they were harnessed, just like they're doing to the humans now. But for some reason, the harnesses now aren't nearly as good as they were a hundred years ago. So this rebellion's been building slowly. They've learned how to overcome their harnesses. Okay. Well, I kind of remember. I, I remember pieces of it. But I didn't. I didn't keep very good notes. It was either a. It was a really good episode, and I was eyeing to it and forgot to write anything down, or B, it was just kind of stuff we already knew and didn't really... Well, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we took for granted because it's second viewing. Yeah. But, you know, it's it it really is, as, as far as explanations go, it's a very pivotal episode. It's just, it's a lot of downtime. It's tense downtime, but it's downtime by comparison. There's not a whole lot of battle going on. Yeah. It's not brains, brains splattering all over the place. Right. It's that saggy middle, if you will. Yeah, it is. Episode I see episode four and five as, as really the saggy middle of the of this one. I mean, even though there was the farm, it really had no major impact over it. Um and even 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 the next episode six and and one or two beyond that, really there's kind of a saggy middle. It was a necessary storytelling um, piece because we needed to know all that history. We needed to know all that stuff about Maggie. We needed to have all that character building. We had to have Rick come back. We had to have the Skitter history. We had to have um, we had to have the harness farm to understand the harnesses and how they worked and everything in order for later, when Red Eye explained it, why that was significant. So it was right. all necessary. It just didn't, it just wasn't this uh, use an eight-year-old as a lure to capture skitters and blow their yeah, brains they, out. Yeah, th- this was the the info dump episode for all intents. Yeah. So, um, that being the end of it, um, well, almost because we also find out that there's Death Squad coming in to take out Red Eye. Oh, that's right. And this is where this one gives them the actual deadline. They are coming to get him, and they are going to because he's a Skinner. Uh, rebellion, they're going to just kill everything and use everything to get him because they're afraid. Right. See, they, they now know that Red Eye is part of the rebellion and they're, uh, they've are they got the Death Squad coming in. So he, this is basically his attempt to say, look, I'm no longer on the inside. I'm, I've got to take the fight out on under these terms. We need your help. Yeah. Okay. Well, that leaves us with the, uh, the first half. And, you know, I think we ought to split this into two podcast because um, as, we were as talking much before, as we've been going yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> going to get too long if we do anything else so what we'll do is we'll be back next week and we'll do episode 6 through 10 of season 2 and then we'll continue from there sounds like a plan sounds like a plan we'll talk to you guys next time thanks for listening if you have any feedback send them out to us <laughs> <laughs>